Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2 for our scripture reading today. As you are doing that, I'd like to encourage you to come out to one of our Christmas Eve services as well. Uh, we'll have them at both 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock on Christmas Eve. We will have nursery available during the 4 o'clock service, um, but not the 6 o'clock service, just so you know as well. Um, so, we'll be reading Matthew chapter 2, um, and as you can probably see, it's a little broken up, um, so I'll try to help you follow along and know where I'm going to next. So, let's start in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Now Herod the king heard this. He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And then 7 through 8. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Then down to 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I call my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he has ascertained from the wise men. And then 22 and 23. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Amen. have kings here in America. In fact, the Revolutionary War was fought to free us from the rule of King George III of England. But I think that most of us know enough about kings from our reading of history as well as from fiction that we would know how to act if we met a king. So what would you do if you came across someone who looked like the man in this picture that I brought with me this morning? What would you ask him? What would you not ask him? 
If you walked into a palace and if you saw a man seated on a throne, if you saw that that person seating on the throne was indeed wearing a crown, and if the person sitting there was looking at you, what would you not say to this person? You would not ask him, where is the king? If you did ask such a question, what would the person on the throne answer you? He would say, um, you're looking at him. Isn't it obvious that I am the king of this land? Didn't the palace and the throne and the crown give you some kind of a clue about my identity? It's interesting that the people who are called wise men in Matthew chapter 2 did not seem to be very wise. The question they asked in verse 2 was, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We know from this part of the Bible and from the Christmas carols that the wise men were looking for Jesus, the newborn king. But the fact is, the Jews already had a king in Jesus' day. And that king's name was Herod, according to verse 3. So how did Herod react when he heard that the wise men were looking for the newborn king of the Jews? Verse 3 says that the king was troubled. This word troubled is a little bit of an understatement on Matthew's part. King Herod was actually terrified. The wise men's question about the one who was born the king of the Jews made it clear that Jesus was the one with a legitimate claim to the throne. Jesus was the true king from David's line. And that would mean that Herod had taken the throne that was not his to take. Herod was not the real king. For a paranoid king like Herod, that was not what he wanted to hear. What do you mean there is another king of the Jews? I am the only king of the Jews. But we will see in Matthew chapter 2 today that Christmas means Jesus is the only king. Let's look today at some of the consequences of the fact that Jesus alone is king. Since Jesus alone is king, Jesus is a threat to everyone who wants to be king. We see how threatened King Herod felt when he was told about the birth of King Jesus. We read in verse 8 that Herod told the wise men, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. We realize later in Matthew chapter 2 that King Herod is telling a lie at this point. The wise men do find Jesus, but when they find him, they don't go back to King Herod to tell him where he is located. They don't do this because in verse 12 we read, that the wise men were warned in a dream not to go back to King Herod. How does the king respond then to the wise men not coming back to him? Verse 16 says that King Herod became furious, and he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under. Based on the size of Bethlehem at that time, that means that Herod murdered 
somewhere between a dozen and two dozen children. Why would King Herod do such an evil thing? Because he felt threatened. And when this paranoid king felt a threat to his kingship, he killed people. Earlier we had known from history that King Herod had killed his favorite wife and two of his sons because he thought that they were a threat to his kingdom. Herod made it clear he was the king of the Jews. As long as he was the king, no one else would be king. And so Herod tried to kill Jesus because Jesus was a threat to his kingdom. Verse 13 says, however, that an angel warned Joseph in a dream about Herod's plan. And so Joseph and Mary and Jesus got away before Herod could kill Jesus. Now you might think to yourself, well, only a cruel tyrant like King Herod would have that kind of response to the birth of King Jesus. I wouldn't feel threatened by Jesus. But I would encourage you this morning to think again. Look again at verse 3. It wasn't just King Herod who was threatened by Jesus. It says that all Jerusalem with Herod was troubled by the news of this baby king. All Jerusalem probably refers to the religious leaders of Jerusalem who dominated the city. Many of those religious leaders were personally appointed by King Herod. And what would happen to them if a new king rose up within Jerusalem? Well, they would lose their power along with King Herod. So obviously they did not want that to happen. And so the religious leaders were also threatened by King Jesus. And how about the rest of us? How do we respond when Jesus acts like the king that he is? We find the answer in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. I'd like for us to read those verses together out loud. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So let me ask you, do we as people naturally do what King Jesus wants us to do? Is that the bent of our hearts? No. We don't do the right thing. We don't seek to please God or King Jesus. Instead, we turn aside from the ways of God. We are all, then, like King Herod. We are all threatened by Jesus' claim to be king. At the core of every human being is an impulse that says, no one tells me what to do. Every one of us wants the world to orbit around me and my desires and my wants. We all want to be king. 
learned many things after I got my driver's license when I was 16 years old. I learned about cars. I learned about the rules of the road. The one surprising thing I learned after I got my driver's license is that every other driver on the road assumes that I can speak sign language. For example, a, a few weeks ago I was driving on 295 when I saw this car and then lane next to me suddenly moving to, toward my car like he was in a NASCAR race and he was going to bump me off the road, getting closer and closer and closer. Then he started honking his horn furiously at me, so I slammed on my brakes and slowed down. Apparently, he wanted to get off at the exit, which was coming up quickly. And so, after I slammed on my brakes, he had enough time to get in the right lane and to get off the exit. And as he was exiting off of 295, suddenly he spoke to me in sign language. I'll bet you can guess what he said to me. He rolled down his window and he stuck one of his fingers out the window. Now, you know what? This driver was absolutely right. I can speak sign language. With his finger, this driver was saying to me, this is my road, and I am the king of this road. Why are you ruining my day? Get off of my road. It appears that every one of us wants to be the king. Now, you might argue, well, you truly love Jesus as your king. But I wonder sometimes if even we Christians treat Jesus just like children treat Santa Claus. Children might claim that they love Santa, but the truth is they just love the things that Santa gives. In the same way, we Christians can ask Jesus for some of his good gifts, for his love, for his help, for his strength, for his forgiveness, for happiness. But what happens to us when King Jesus takes longer than we think he should to give us one of his good gifts? Do we love King Jesus then? Or do we lose our faith? Because Jesus is not answering our prayers in the way that we want and at the time that we want. Sometimes we conclude that Jesus is a terrible king because he does not immediately give us what we ask for. If only I were king, then this world would be a much better place. The honest truth is, then, that we naturally resist Jesus as king. We reject him, just like the religious leaders in Jerusalem rejected Jesus and they ultimately nailed him to the cross because they would not have him as their king. We are threatened, every one of us, by Jesus' claim to be king. We are naturally hostile to the true king of the world, Jesus. We are hostile because we want to be king. Well, since Jesus alone is king, we need to put Jesus on the throne of our lives 
as our king. I want you to notice the words of the wise men in verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now these wise men likely came all the way from Persia, which is modern-day Iran, which is about a thousand miles away from Bethlehem. They traveled all of that distance in order to see Jesus. These wise men were not Jews. We can understand if Jews would travel that far and for that long to see their newborn Messiah and King. But Matthew is letting us know that Jesus is not just for Jews. Jesus is for everyone. He is to be the King of the whole world, not just the king of the Jewish people. Jesus is no ordinary king. The wise men said in verse 2 that they came to worship Jesus. Now, by their words, they meant that they came to show public respect and honor to Jesus as the newborn king of the Jews. That's pretty much all that they meant. They did not know that this baby King Jesus was also God. But the wise men spoke better than they knew. Jesus was not just a human king who is worthy of our respect. Jesus is God who is worthy of our worship. How remarkable is that? question then that each one of us needs to answer this morning is this. Am I worshiping Jesus this Christmas? Have I placed him on the throne of my heart and is he ruling my life as my king? You see, if it really was God who was born in the manger on Christmas Day, then we have lost the right be in charge of our lives. Jesus must be king of our lives because he is God. Jesus must be on the throne of my life as my king. Now that sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? We don't like the idea of giving up control of our lives to anyone, even someone as good and kind as Jesus. But the message of Christmas is that Jesus is not only king of the Jews, Jesus is God. And if Jesus enters into your life as God, you don't control him. He controls you. If you say you are a Christian, you have given up your right to a life of my way. Instead, as a Christian, you are committed to a life of his way. You deny yourself and you do what Jesus says, because Jesus is now your king on the throne of your life. We see that Jesus calls us to a life of self-denial in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Let's read together those verses out loud. If anyone would come after me, 
let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus' words are shocking, aren't they? They shock us because we live in a culture where we are told every day that we must always work to fulfill our dreams and our desires. Nothing can get in the way of that. These dreams and desires are ruling our lives. We must follow them. So we think. But Jesus says, if you want me in your life, I must be king. We must deny ourselves and follow him. So why would anyone make Jesus the king of their lives? Why would anyone pledge complete allegiance to Jesus alone as king? I'd like for you to look at the story of Jesus' father, his human father, Joseph, to get an answer to that question. At the very beginning of Jesus entering into Joseph's life as his son, God made it clear to Joseph that Joseph was not in control of Jesus. Jesus would be in control of Joseph. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, if you want to look back there, the angel of the Lord tells Joseph what the name of his child is to be. He is to be named Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Now normally, when you are the parent, who gets to name your child? You do, right? What would you think if someone else came along and said, I'm going to name your child for you? What? That's my job. It's not what Joseph said. Joseph was no longer in control. He denied himself and he yielded control of his life to God from the very beginning of Jesus' life. We see this also all throughout Matthew chapter 2 in Joseph's life. In verse 13, the angel comes to Joseph and tells him, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And what did Joseph do after he heard this news? He immediately got out of bed in the middle of the night, and he obeyed. Even though it was the middle of the night, and even though he knew that this would mean that he would have to leave his homeland with his family, Joseph went. He went in response to what the angel said. He chose to become a refugee because his king had told him to go. Later, after Herod died, Joseph was told again to move. He was told to return to Israel in verse 20. But instead of going to Bethlehem, where all his family lived, where did Joseph go? He went to Galilee, according to verse 22, in the very north of Israel, because of another dream from God. He obeyed his king, 
rather than following his own heart and his own plans. You might ask, well, what was in it for Joseph to completely obey God as his king? What did Joseph get out of it? For one thing, Joseph and the family that he loved were protected and cared for by God. God saved their lives on numerous occasions from King Herod and from other wicked people. To be loved and protected like that is a good thing, right? And for another thing, Joseph got to live in the presence of God in the person of Jesus every day of his life. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? To have God living in your house. How remarkable is that? Because Joseph gave to God and to Jesus supreme allegiance. Joseph got what he most needed from God. Life. Love. Protection. Security. And Joseph got the gift of God himself. And we will get the same things if we put Jesus on the throne of our lives. Yes, it's true that if you follow Jesus, the Jesus who died on the cross for you, you will suffer in this life. You will suffer just like Jesus suffered, and you will suffer just like Joseph and Mary suffered. But suffering, rejection, and even death are never God's final word for you. Never. God's final word for you as a Christian is paradise, life, joy, love, eternity. Don't be afraid, then, to make Jesus your king. Obey him in all things. If you know that Jesus is telling you to do something from his word, Don't resist him anymore. Let him be the king of your life. You won't regret it. Since Jesus alone is king, we need to trust in his power. The story of Jesus' birth makes you wonder what kind of king Jesus is. At first glance, Jesus doesn't look like a very powerful king. He doesn't get born in a palace in Jerusalem where all of the powerful Jews live. Instead, he's born in a barn in Bethlehem. And his first cradle is an animal's feeding trough. And if Jesus is the king of the Jews, how come it's not the Jews who come and visit him at his birthday? How come? How come it's these wise men from the east from a thousand miles away who have to come and worship Jesus? And if Jesus is a powerful king, how come he doesn't have powerful bodyguards who would bring him back into Jerusalem after the death of King Herod? Why does he have to live in Nazareth of all places? Nazareth was this little hip town that none of the religious leaders of the Jews considered to be an important place. I think we get an answer to some of these questions in verse 23. 
for the fourth time there in Matthew chapter 2. We see that God fulfilled prophecy in the events of Jesus' life. We read in verse 23, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Clearly, if Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy about the Messiah, God was powerfully at work in Jesus' life. God was shaping events so that Jesus might be the fulfillment of prophecy. He had the power of God then behind him. But the fact that Jesus lived in Nazareth tells us that Jesus was a different kind of king. God arranged things so that the king of the world would grow up in a town that the powerful religious leaders looked down upon. So why would God do that? Because God has a way of choosing paths and people that nobody else wants. God has a way of choosing people and places that others might forget. God does this to teach us about his salvation. Remember that the name Jesus means the Lord saves. Other religions teach you to do better and try harder in order to earn your own salvation. Only Christianity teaches that you cannot save yourself. Christianity teaches that Jesus alone is powerful enough to save you from sin and its penalty of death. Only Jesus says, I have come for the weak. I have come for those who admit their own weakness and their sin. I will save them not by what they do, but what I do in dying for their sins on the cross. Jesus then came in apparent weakness when he first came to earth as king. He came to identify with the weak in order to save the weak by his powerful blood. Jesus then appears like a very weak king. But his weakness was actually his strength. He looked especially weak at the end of his life when he did not climb up onto a throne. Instead, Jesus climbed up on a cross. He went to the cross to be our substitute, to die in our place for our sin and rebellion against God. He took the position of weakness on the cross so that if we believe that he died for us, we can be forgiven for our sin and reconciled to God. The Bible teaches that Jesus is going to come to earth a second time as king. The first time he came as a king, he came in weakness. He came to a manger. He came to the insignificant town of Nazareth. He came to a cross to die for us. But the second time that Jesus comes to earth as king, he will come in power. He will come to bring an end to evil as the strong and mighty king who rules the world. And if we believe that Jesus died on the cross in our place, 
when Jesus comes again as king, he will end all evil without ending us. Isn't Jesus a great king? Isn't Jesus a powerful king that we should worship today? If you would like to make Jesus your king today, I invite you to pray silently in your heart as I pray out loud. Let's pray together. Jesus, we acknowledge today that you are king. We acknowledge that you are the only king. We have lived like we are king. We have tried to rule the world. And yet we acknowledge today that we have sinned against you in this way. We are no king. You alone are king. And so today we worship you. Today we ask you to forgive us of our sins. We ask that you would enter our lives as both our king and our savior. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. Today I am turning away from a life of living for my way as my king. And I am asking you to forgive me of my sin. I am asking you to become my king and to lead my life from this day forward. With your eyes closed this morning, I want to ask if you prayed that prayer today, if you would raise your hand so that I might pray for you. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time, could I pray for you? Please raise your hand so that I can know. Today, you are recognizing that you have tried to be your own king. You have been living like you are the king. You have not allowed Jesus to be king of your life. If you would like prayer, if you would like help for Jesus to be the king of every area of your life, would you raise your hand so I might pray for you? If you would like prayer, that Jesus would be able to help you to be your king. Jesus, what a wonderful king you are. Thank you that you are good, kind, but also mighty. Lord, today we acknowledge that we have tried to be king, and we've made a mess of our lives as a result. We need you to be king. And so we ask you to be king over every part of our lives. There is no area of the world over which you do not say, all belongs to you, including us. And so I pray that you would help us to trust you. May we surrender every area of our lives to you, knowing that you are a good, kind, and powerful king. In your name we pray. Amen.